Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, yeah, I did forget to mention that. It looked like, uh, um, well, our missionaries to Haiti surprised us last Sunday night, and they showed up, made the announcement that they're expecting, uh, adding, to the, adding to their uh, missionary field there. And so they, they have a new staff member, I think they called them, uh, coming on board. But they also were showing us pictures about the building that we were able to send down money for. And uh, they were, I saw, I think it was on Instagram last night, they were pouring the floor on this garage level. It ended up being bigger than they thought because the way the cliff kind of dropped off they had to build an extra room underneath but they're making an area where they can park and then they're going to be able to get on up to the roof and building that solid <clears throat> so that they're making a difference in the area to where like <clears throat> local politicians and stuff are coming by like who is this and what are they doing and man they do they're taking stock in us and, and what, what's going on here in St. Suzanne and so they were super encouraged and as a super encouraged they said they didn't want to make any public announcements about things going on until they talked to us first which is always kind of humbling like who are we and then they just Say we're such an encouragement to them, and I really appreciate that, that you all are, are such an encouragement to them and to continue to pray for them as they go. Franzi will be going back down in April, uh, I think for about a month, and so do be praying for that trip while he'll be there and just kind of touching base and overseeing things. And so uh, just good news going on the front there. Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. <clears throat> we're studying the study of Solomon, pretty much, is what this is. This is at the end of his life. He's old. He's telling us the pursuits that he's put in. And so it's also, it's not just like a, as we go through these, it's not just like, oh, I tried that for a week. You know, I'm kind of that way. I'm, I have hobbies for a little while, and I, and I might do it for maybe a year or so, and then and on to something else. You know, I'm always interested in something else to go. And Solomon's a little bit that way, but this is at the end of his life. It's one of those where he's had time to put into it. Um, and he's had time to put it. He didn't have to go to work every day. I mean, he was the king, and his job was being the king, and whatever the king wanted, they would do, and so he had time to do it. It's not like, oh, when I get off work and I'm not too tired, I'll try that for an hour or two. You know, he could pursue it until he was done pursuing it. He had the money, he had the finances, he had the power, you know, that he could pursue all these things, and he did. He said, I set my heart to it, and so I did. And this is at the end of his life when he's older, and so it's where he's tried these things for a long periods of time. Sometimes some of these things took a long time. You know, and so, but he pursued it, and he gives us his answers. In chapter 1, he is pursuing wisdom. Now, we know he had wisdom as a gift from God, right? He, he prayed for that. He goes, I'm going to be a king. Who am I? I'm but a, I'm but a lad. And so he, he prayed for the Lord to give him wisdom on how to rule the people, and God blessed him with that. And so it was to the point where people from around the world came to hear him and his wisdom and the, and, and the things that he would be able to say. But he sought to flesh it out, maybe learning Maybe knowledge is the answer to this life. Maybe that is the secret. Maybe that is the key. You know, I asked the right thing with the Lord, so maybe if I just pursue knowledge, if I pursue learning and understanding, if I become the professional student, I know there's some of those that stay in college again and again and again and again, you know, but not, not just that way. Just wanted to make learning. I think we should learn forever. I think we, we're going to be learning forever, literally, as we study the Lord, and we know that he is unsearchable and his ways are past finding out that we'll never exhaust that resource. But he wanted to learn. He wanted to pursue knowledge. Learning stuff. Is that why man's here? To learn, to answer, to crack the great secrets and the mysteries of life? I'd have some satisfaction in some of the great secrets and mysteries of life. But there's not real satisfaction. As a matter of fact, if you get to the chapter 1, verse 18, the very last verse, he says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. He says, well, the more I learn, the more, more grief I have. 
The more sorrow there was, the more I saw how hopeless it was, and the more I understood that we don't have the answers. And we talked about some of those pursuits and, and how we really don't have them. I went to the Scientific American article that listed, and it's like, things that we tell you we have the answers on, we really don't have the answers on, you know, and we really don't know. They just put up a big front. Um, they say a little bit of knowledge will make you an atheist, or a little bit of science will make you an atheist. A lot of science will make you a Christian. You know, it has to drive you back that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has done this. And so, or they rebel and just turn their back on him. But you learn, you learn about grief. You learn about suffering around the world. You learn about sorrow. You learn about that. He goes, man, the more I know, the more grief, the more responsibility, the more, more it would just weighed me down. So we, but what else should I try? So he turned his pursuits elsewhere. And he thought, well, if I tried the hard pursuit, you know, stop, uh, studying, knowledge, learning, if I tried the loftier things, you know, education, understanding, and if those aren't the answer, maybe the opposite. Maybe it's the thing, instead of really applying myself, maybe I ought to really not, not apply myself and just entertain myself. So that's what he does. That's what chapter 2 is. Uh, chapter 2, he says, if wisdom and, and knowledge are, are, are sorrow and grief, let's try the opposite. So chapter 2. Verse 1 says, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? Hmm. So he tells us at the outset his conclusion. Like, Here, here's what I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to try laughter. I'm going to try mirth. I'm going to try some fun stuff. And he tells us right at the beginning that it doesn't work. So mirth, he goes, I'm, trying, I'm going to pursue mirth. Uh, not a word we use much today. How are you? I'm mirthy. No, we, we, don't, we don't use mirth in that way, but it means joy. Happiness, maybe because we're not happy. We're not mirthy. I'm not happy. Happiness. I want to pursue happiness. Oh, that's the American way, right? Our constitution, you know, the pursuit of happiness. You know, that, that's us. Pleasure. He's going to go after that. Satisfy the flesh. He says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. If it feels good, do it. Hey, he's going to pursue that. Laughter. A good chuckle, you know, good belly laugh. I'm just going to pursue after things that make me happy and laugh. I'm just going to be ha, 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 as I go along. He tells us the conclusion there. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad. It doesn't mean angry mad. It means crazy mad. <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy if you pursue it in that way. If you think about, if you picture um, one of my nightmares is in uh, 1800s uh, mental institution. It's usually you know, the padded cells and the guys in the straight jackets, and usually the guy in the corner going, <laughs> It's like, no, thank you. That's the stuff of nightmares. You know, that's madness in that way. They're always laughing. I don't think they're happy. I think they're crazy. And he says, Well, if you just pursue that for that sake, it'll drive you crazy. He's like, No, that's madness. You know, it's like, But what about mirth? He says, What does it? What does it do? You know, what do with it? Doesn't last, runs out. I was entertained for a second, and now entertain me some more. It just runs out. It doesn't, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't stick. It doesn't sustain. It isn't the answer to life. It's not why we're here. It solves no problems. It might distract us from problems, and it might be a pleasant thing to do. There's no real answer in it. There's no real satisfaction in it. There's no real purpose in it. We still die. You know, that doesn't answer those problems. And so will our kids. And their kids and their kids. It doesn't satisfy anything in that way. But with God, it's different. With God, there's a true joy. He tells us that. There's a true rest. He's good company. He's a good company to be in. It's a relationship that will endure. See, that's different. See, he is looking in the first 12 chapters here under the sun. 
Not in heaven, not thinking about eternity. He's trying to solve all these answers without eternity and without God. That's his whole pursuit. His conclusion is, "Mm, you need eternity, you need God. You know, that is what satisfied man. And so here he's saying, I have tried these without God. I've tried the human aspect of it. It's empty. But with God, there's the answer. Happiness, mirth, laughter, outside of, of eternity is a waste. It doesn't comfort in hell. You can't be down there thinking, oh, remember that good time I had? It's not going to remember. It's going to make you sad. I've heard people talk about that. Well, when I'm, if I'm in hell, I'll just think about all the good times I had, and it'll help me, you know, through the suffering. I've heard the challenges. Well, next time you go to the dentist's office, say, no anesthesia. I want to think about good things I've done in my life. See how long that lasts. You know, all of a sudden, you're going, yeah, anesthesia, please. You know, and so there's no anesthesia in hell. There's no good pleasure of thought that's going to you know, relieve the, the tension of the suffering that you're going to be in. That, that's not going to work. But in Christ, well, look at John. Hold your spot here. John 15. You know, like I said, Jesus is the answer. But John 15. John 15 and verse 9, he says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He says, I want you to have joy. I want your joy to sustain you. I want it to stay in you. I want your joy to be full. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to be a joyous person. How do you do that? Honor God. Keep his commandments. Pursue righteous things. That's Solomon's conclusion, right? God's commandments. You know, thinking about him. Thinking about eternity. Jesus tells us the answer to this as well. He's like, I want you to have joy. I want you to be right. Um, in like... Um, Screw tape, warm wood letters, or the Lord Falgren books by Randy Alcorn, where it's supposedly we've gotten these letters or tapes. Uh, I listened to them on tape, so they switched it all around to they confiscated these tapes. It was between two demons on how to keep Christians down and how to keep people from being Christians. And in it, the demons are talking and they're saying, God makes it hard because he's after what's there's the best intention. He wants them to be happy. He wants them to be successful. He wants them to be satisfied. And he's trying to do things that then make them feel that way, like we have to distract them. You know, it's, it's these battle plans. You have to, it's an interesting book. You have to kind of read it in the negative. Um, but it's telling us what the, the enemy is doing against us. And they see it as not fair that God is after our best interest. He's after our best pursuit. He's after what is right for us. He's after what's going to make us happy and sustain us. And they try to distract us with sideline things. You know, honor God. Keep right with him. Jesus will deliver to you true joy, true happiness. Smiles are the wardrobe of heaven. You know, it's not we're going to be up there going, I hate being in heaven. No, no it's going to be like, ah, we're in heaven. And, and heaven's not a church service. You know, heaven's going to be, it'll be good and pleasurable. You know, it's not like, no, I have to go endure that. You know, they meet on the Sabbath. It's not like it's everyday, everyday church service. I think that's what people think heaven will be. Well, everyday church service will be stand up, sit down, sing or song. It's like, no, it'll be true worship. It'll be true pursuit. It'll be truly being with him, enjoying one another. When we have true fellowship, that, that's tastes of heaven. And we've said it before. For. That's what it'll be, you know, basking in him and seeing who he is. Christian fellowship, when we have it, at least here, and I hope everywhere, it's laughter. 
Yeah, we don't go downstairs. We'll sit around in our stuffy shirts like, <laughs> we don't know. It's usually laughing and giggling. We're like, oh, what are they doing? They're telling some funny story. And there's something funny over there. And there's something here this way. They're making a joke and picking on each other. And, and good Christian fellowship. It's a lot of laughter, a lot of giggles, a lot of time where it's like, a lot of times I'm here really late. It's like, because we, we're here, you know, and we're together. And it's just good fellowship, you know, in him. Good, clean fun. You know, there's nothing like good Christian fun. We don't have to worry about what's going to be said. You don't have to worry about what line is going to go down. That feelings are going to get hurt, hopefully. That we're in that. That's a good Christian fellowship. It's happiness. Funny stories where you're revealing things about yourself that are embarrassing, but hilarious. Yeah, so you share them because there is an openness. Because you know these people aren't going to hurt you. That they're going to say, I see that, and I understand the hurt in that, and that is funny, and, 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 but you kind of empathize with it, and that's what gives us the joke in that way. And, but it's an openness, a vulnerability that is there that brings that joy and that communion and that fellowship that ties our hearts together. You know, we sing the song, you know, blessed be the ties that binds our hearts in Christian love. That comes to that fellowship, knowing one another, not by being these little islands that just all come from the middle. No, that we know one another. That's one of the glories of a small fellowship in that way. We know one another. Memories of life. That's what funny stories, you know, we're sitting there telling them, like, oh, let me tell you about this one time. Sometimes we repeat stories because we had those memories, and we come, we do it. And sometimes I know your stories as well as my stories. That's good. You know, and that we'll tell them forever. Tell them forever, they'll be funny, and they'll continue to be funny. And then it'll help us in many other areas as well. Man, so under the sun, it's empty. But in Christ, it's full, and it's satisfying, and it continues. And there is a laughter, and there is a smile, and there is a joy in it that's not empty, and it's not shallow, and it's not putting on a brave face. It's because it's genuine. Because you are in safety, you are in comfort, and you are in Him, and you know that's a little taste of heaven here and now. What's it going to be like when we're there and then? When we don't have the distractions of this world, we don't have the battles of sin, we don't have to have all the motives are there. You know, salvation, He saved us from our sin. And uh, He is saving us from our sin now. One day, He will save us from sin. We will be separated from it. Eternity, there'll be no sin. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about it. We will be delivered from it. It'll be our rescue. It'll be our help. We don't have to deal with it. And what a rest and a joy not to be bogged down with sin and guarding ourselves in that way. Look look at this in Zephaniah. What's your favorite verse in Zephaniah? (laughs) You're like, Zephaniah, I think he made up that bird. No, Zephaniah, it's in there, it's right before Haggai. Zephaniah chapter 3. Not one we go too often. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. He gives us a little picture here. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. That's a little picture of heaven. Rejoicing. Joy. Love. Singing. Who's in the midst of it all? It says God is. You know, we're, we're gathered around him. We're gathered around the crystal throne. We are there. He's on his throne. We are basking in the beauty of who he is, his glory, his light that shines forth. We're in the fellowship of other saints that are there. And we're singing his praise and his glory. And we're having to look at each other and say, it's him. You know, it's, it's him. We're here. You know, and you're, you're, you're wrapped up in the wonder and the joy and the beauty of it all. And, and we're singing about how good he is. And he's singing over us that he's pleased with us. And he's rejoicing in us. 
You know how good that will make you feel when God says that he's rejoicing in you? I don't know about you, but the picture that I always had painted for me is that he's a big principal's office, and you're going in there, and you're about ready to get called on the carpet. What are you doing? And you did this wrong, and I write this on the chalkboard 5,000 times for eternity. It's like you feel like it's going to be, what am I going to do? It's like, no, our sins have been forgiven. Christ has paid for them. Do we want to please him? Yes. Do we want to serve him righteously? Yes. Do we want to cause him pain? No, we don't. We want to be serving him. We want to be pursuing him in righteousness so that we come into his presence and can be full of joy. Good heaven, this. We want to build on that foundation that he's given us, the foundation that no man has laid, but Christ has laid salvation. Now, on top of that, we want to put gold, silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, stubble, things that will burn away, things that will endure. And then we want to enjoy him. He says, I'll give you a joy. I'll give you rest. Rest in my love. We'll fill the love. Think about love. Think about the rest you have in love. Think about, with your parents, right? Or children with their parents. It's like you know what true love is. They care for you. They provide for you. They shelter you. They protect you. They take care of stuff for you. you know, husbands and wives that way too. That is love. God is like, that's me. I'll take care. I'll shelter. I'll watch out for you. I'll entertain you. I'll show you. When I was home, my dad would take me to the movies. My Brian would probably like this. We'll go. King Kong. Yeah. You know, go watch Jaws. Now I'm afraid to swim. You know, so we go. We'll see these things. But was, you know, stuff that we like to do. We're going hiking. Mom, take us horseback right? We do all these different things. It was like, man, adventures that I still remember at 50-some years old. You know, so it's like, man, but joyous things that we did, adventures and hiking and trails and all that stuff. God's like, we'll do that. We'll have joy. Enjoy your creation. Enjoy in the fellowship of that. As a parent, you know, when you give your kids something they're going to love, I have joy in watching them have fun with it and watching them play with it and then having that kind of joyous experience and just being there. One of the greatest things that I've liked about our family as they were growing up is when two of the siblings would know what the other sibling was getting. And they'd be like, you know, that's wrapped up and you're giving it to them like at Christmas time. And they're all kind of, the other two, like say I'm giving American Girl doll, yeah. To Megan, not Levi. To, to Megan, we're giving it's like, And they're all kind of like, oh, is that it? And we're like, yeah, that's it. And then the two brothers are kind of like, just as excited as she's going to be. Like, oh, she's going to open it. She's going to love it. There's something about that when you love to watch somebody else love something, you know, and know it's going to make them happy and that you can rejoice in that. God's that way. He wants to give us these things and, and rejoice in it. And it's part of it's going to be with him. Singing. You know, I don't feel like singing usually when I'm mad or depressed or angry or things are going rotten. Sometimes I make myself sing. <laughs> but, but, you know, but when you're happy, there's a song on your lips. That's going to be the music of heaven, right? Laughter, singing, songs, joy. To look across and see joy. To see a, a wonderful expression of just how oh, we're here and being and in his presence. And you're here. And, and, and just to rejoice in it. Mm, rejoicing. The sounds of heaven. Man, that's, that's, that's a good picture to have. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2, we'll move on to verse 3. It says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was, uh, see what, what was that good of the sons of men, which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. Uh, he says, well, I'll try wine and folly. Well, the world wants to tell you everything's better with wine. I watched America's Funniest Home Videos last night. 
It's funny. Uh, you know, it's sad a lot of times because it's like, hey, white people drinking and dancing. No, it doesn't go well together. And it's usually somebody falling down. I don't know who thinks America's honeyest. If you just need to watch it once and you realize you don't need to stand on the table and dance, you're going to fall. You don't need to stand on a chair and dance, you're going to fall. It's hilarious, you know, but you're going to fall. You know, and you're going to get hurt. You know, these things. Yet people get themselves to lie and they do stupid stuff. You know, it takes away their inhibitions. They do crazy things. It's not stuff you're proud of. Not stuff that makes you happy. Usually makes you look stupid. We all sit and laugh at you. And you're like, yeah, he doesn't need a million dollars, but that was funny. You know, it's like, so, eh. it's, it's not wise. And it runs out. You feel worse the next day, they say. And you go for more wine or more wine. It's not good. It damages your body. It tears it all down. He knows that. And he said he tried to use wisdom as he pursued it. I don't know what that means, but he went after verse 4. He said, he goes, I made great works. I built me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me a garden and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. These are Solomon's hobbies. I tried hobbies. Now, his hobbies aren't like your mind hobbies. You know, my hobby is collecting Batman. You know, uh, I got some gold pans for Christmas. I went gold painting yesterday in the rain. I'm rich. I found a flake of gold. I did find something. So uh, I will now tear up every piece of dirt in Johnson County, probably. <laughs> but no, I was like looking at rocks anyway. But, uh, you know, little hobbies. What's Solomon do? I build houses and develop property. That's a little different class of hobby than I can have, you know, to, to build houses and to do that. And he's going like, hmm, I want to try the split level. Now I'll try the ranch. I think now I'll try the classic columns. I'll try, you know, it's like he can just do all these different ones and as new things come along, I got to try something new. Underground house, above ground house, tree house. And so he builds all these different houses and pursues it all out and just leaves him with, I want to try something else, something else is new. Well, now they have new flooring. I got to build a new house. New countertops, new house. You know, new kind of windows. Let's try another one. Heating, cooling systems, the supply of that. It was all a different view. How about on a mountain? How about in a valley? On a river? On a lake? You know, and so he tries all these different things. None of them satisfy. He builds and builds and builds. Vineyards, never-ending seasons. You know, it's like you got to do the work. Of course, he hired the work out. You know, he built them, put them all there. And he's like, ah, I'll come enjoy them in their peak of their beauty and at the harvest time when it's all great and wonderful. It's like I love going to Apple Works when it's peak time. I also hate going to Apple Orchard when it's peak time. It's crowded. You know, there's a lot of people down there, but it's like the smells and the scenes of the fall. Yeah, work on Orchard, right? You know, so it's like, it's great in this way. So it's, no, but it's a lot of work you know, that goes on. There's a lot of things we don't realize. Trees. My dad loves trees. I say, what, didn't you guys say you drove all the way to the Grand Canyon and got there? He said, where's the trees? Turn around and left. And so, <laughs> so apparently, don't go to the Grand Canyon for trees. But uh, when, when they bought our property uh, where mom and dad lived, it was it was a five-acre, well, most of it was a cornfield. And then Dad ordered all these trees. He's like, we get all these trees. Me and my brothers are thinking, tree houses, tree forts. You know, we're going to fire around this. They all came in a mail, an envelope. It's like, we could jump over them all, which he told me to do, and we did. I jumped over every tree in my dad's yard. I jumped them all. He goes, you'll tell your kids that one day. I had to wait till I had kids. Uh, so, yeah, 40 years later, the trees are <laughs> this big. And I'm like, I jumped over those trees. And my kids all think I have superpowers because I did jump over one. I'm telling the truth. Oh, but you have to plant all those. And you're like, imagine what this is going to be like. Let's wait 20 years. There's not much satisfaction in that. You have to wait for a tree to grow up and get bigger. And to do all that, Solomon had to do that. plant that. I'll come back to it later. That's why this is at the end of his life. He can go back and it's beautiful and you enjoy it for a minute. And it's like, eh. And he moves on. I mean, I, I love beautiful forests. He says, so I made pools of water, verse 6, to water therewith uh, the wood that bringeth forth trees. He's like, 
when I was thinking pools, I like a good pool. You know, and I like neat pools. I like the pools with the glass wall that overlook the ocean. I like the ones that have little waterfalls. I just like swimming. You know, we, we have different pools. Our pool in our additions on the lake where you can swim in clean water and look at the dirty lake water. You know, so we can, we can enjoy it in that way. And that's nice. These are more, it's more of an irrigation system. They say you can go to Israel today and you can still see these cisterns that Solomon had built that are still there. And, and I don't know if they're still working, but they're, they're still there. You, know, you can see them that, that he built and he developed all these ways because, you know, if you have an orchard or if you have a garden and you have all these different trees, it doesn't always rain when you want to. You know, ask a farmer. You know, it's one of the things. You can't control the weather. You know, it's not like you can't make it rain. You can't make it not rain. You can't, make, you can't control those things. So it's trying to give a little bit of control of that so you don't have to worry near as much about losing all your trees that you've been waiting on for 15 years. You know, and so you're having to, to develop all that. So he develops all this and he pursues it. And I'm sure he enjoyed the work as he was doing it. It's problem solving. I like problem solving, especially if you solve the problem. If not, it's just frustrating. You know, but he gets to the end of it. He solves the problem. He gets done. He's like, ah, there. It's done. Now what? That's what he does. He does it on these grand scales. And so he does these things. And a lot of his, um, like I said, stuff still exists. Verse 7 says, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that there was in Jerusalem before me. So he had employees, uh, servants uh, in that way. He mentions them born in the house. That was supposed to have been the highest honor to have some that had been born in your house that were yours. Uh, I don't know too much more about that other than it's like employees, I guess, for us today. He had cattle. He got into the ranching business. He liked cowboy shows. Let's get me a ranch. You know, so he builds him a ranch and he goes out and do that. They can still say you can see the stables where he built and some of the feeding troughs are still there. where He had these dotted around the countryside in that way. Didn't satisfy. They wore down. The ruins that you can go look at. Didn't really satisfy, didn't really please. Verse 8, he said, I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of kings of all, or kings of the provinces. He said he went after riches. We know he did that. It says, <clears throat> when we were studying Solomon in 1 Kings, that silver was like gravel. It's like you'd be walking along, oh, look, a shiny rock. That's eh, just silver. <laughs> Throw it on down the way. Like, that's how plentiful the riches were. It was just like there. You know, when Queen of Sheba comes, she goes, the half hadn't been told me. You are richer than I even thought was possible. You know, he had all this. He's like, I did that. He cornered the gold and silver market in his day and the peculiar treasure, which I find most fascinating um, because he traded with all the kings and he got all these taxes and duties from other ones around him and they would send him things that would please him. So some of that they suspect was mechanisms in that way. Uh, back in the older days, they called them automatia, uh, early robotics in that way. You'd wind it up and it would walk. You know, I, I had a wind-up robot that was a Favorite toy of mine I had. He'd walk so far and he would stop and turn around. These doors would open up and guns would come out. and He would shoot and make sparks. You know, I wish I still had it. I'd probably be rich if I did. But, you know, he had these things. It was a wind-up toy. It wasn't how much play. Like, what are you going to do with that? Don't play that robot tomorrow. What's he going to do? He's going to walk. His chest is going to open up. Guns. He always did the same thing. So you get, it was fascinating. It was neat for a minute. Then you put it on the shelf, forget about it, come back with it. Maybe later, oh, I remember that toy. They had stuff like that. They had automation that wrote. They had birds that would sing. It was suspected in Solomon's days that they would make these little things chirp and do all that. It would be like going to Disney World and going to the Tiki Room, you know, where the birds all come down and they sing, or the Hall of Presidents, and they all do what They had, you know, they give him all these peculiar things, different oddities that they made up to try to please Solomon. And he would look at him. I'm sure he loved the mechanism, and he'd apply it and other things, and they're cool. But, you know, didn't satisfy. He wanted to see something else. Um... He would just 
look at them, and okay, that one walks, that one waves, that one writes, that one, you know, it's like, you know, after you see so much, you just, so much there. So he, he tried that, gold, riches, peculiar treasures. <clears throat> Middle of the verse, uh, verse 8, he goes on, he says, they got me men singers and women singers and the delegates of the sons of men as musical instruments of all sorts. Uh, we'll get to that part later, but he says, uh, got him singers. They didn't have radios. wasn't like, I built me a big antenna, and I tuned in from the stations of the world. He didn't have that. No ham radio, no regular radio, no satellite, TV. So if you heard something, you know, you had to bring them in. And they're like, there's a new sound sweeping the nation, O King. Oh, really? What is it? Yeah, the entomologists have them there. Their favorite group, the Beatles. And so they bring in the Beatles and sing. You know, if you had the Beatles come and they played their whole collection of songs, you know how long the Beatles would play there? Nine hours and 38 minutes. You know, average song is three minutes, 30 seconds. You know, so it, just doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. Like, that was a great song. That was three minutes worth. Play me something else. You know, let me, let me hear some new beat. You know, <laughs> lay down a track. You know, they, they do, it only goes so long. And, oh, no, give me somebody else. Because you know, you've heard it. You know, later you might be like, hey, remember that? You know, 20 years later, let me hear that again. And you have to go hear it again. But it's, it's different. And I think it's really different now. I think songs used to be bigger and they were more anticipated and you appreciated them more because it was harder to get. Now it's an easy commodity. Um, when I was younger, uh, you heard a song on the radio. And to hear the song on the radio, you're like, there's a new song. And we'd listen for an hour and you finally hear it. And you're like, I like that. I want to hear it again. So we'd call the radio station. Play that song again. I'll put it on the list. You know, and you'd come around, you'd wait around. It might be an hour or two hours. We're going to play that song. Everyone's wanting to hear. After all this advertising for a while, and you'd wait and wait and wait, and you finally hear it. And when you scratched together two nickels, I went and bought a 45. That was not a gun. It was a small little record. It was not an LP. It was a single. This little single had the fat hole in the middle of it. You put it on there and play it on that side. I'd listen to it, and I'm like, eh, I can listen to it whenever I want. No, I can listen to it when I was at home at my radio player. Now I can listen to a song whenever I want. I have it on my iPod, I put it in my ear, I can do it while I'm chopping wood, I can do it when I'm driving my car, I can do it when I'm cleaning the church, I can do it when I'm mowing the grass, I can listen to it anywhere. But back then you had to sit down, listen, put on headphones, because Dad said it was too loud. Headphones, sit there and listen, and listen to the song, or turn it down low on the cabinet stereo. It was the biggest piece of furniture in the house. You'd stand there, listen, load them up. It was a commitment. You're like, I appreciated that song. I took time to sit still and listen to it. I didn't run around with a record player. You know, so you, didn't do, you didn't sit and appreciate that way. And when you heard a new sound, you're like, ooh, I want to hear that. That was fascinating. I remember the first song that had synthesizer in it that fascinated me. I had to get the 45. It had the uh, very hip and cutting-edge lyrics was that Muskrat Susie and Muskrat Sam, they do the jitterbug down to Muskrat Lamb. They're so silly. <laughs> muskrat love. It was Captain Tennille, and, and the synthesizer part was these two little like, muskrats, supposedly. I guess that's what they sound like. That was him playing the keyboard, making these little doodle little songs, and oh, that was cool, you know. Captain Tennille, they'll be together forever. You know, love will keep them together. Um, they recently got divorced, I heard, so guess not. You know, but then you listen to these songs, you're like, oh, there's a new sound, a new thing's coming. The first rap song that went popular, and they're telling us all about it. this is great, it's wonderful, it's the new big thing. Is run DMC, walk this way. I'm like, it's Aerosmith. You know, they played that in the 70s. That's not new. You know, like, oh, here's the new thing. They're sampling. They're cutting these things together. Ice, ice, baby. Like, that's queen under pressure. I've heard that before. I'm finding out that, you know, like Van Halen, Pretty Woman, awesome song. Dad goes, that's Roy Orbison. That's old song. <laughs> so we put all these together. We're like, Solomon is right. There's nothing new under the sun. They just remix it and put it all out there. Now they auto-tune it. You don't have to be able to sing. You know, so they just stick it out there. Like, ugh, you can only listen to so much. I was into music. I played music. I had a guitar. I played music. When mom and dad left, I played music on 11. You know, I went out this way, rattle the windows and do all that. 
I don't play that much music anymore. Moved on to something else. Didn't satisfy. Solomon said didn't satisfy. Doesn't satisfy. Musicians, rich people, famous people, all that achieve the top of their game and all these things that we talk about, they'll tell you this. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't buy happiness. They're not, again, they commit suicide. Robin Williams, comedian. Kills himself. You know, musicians kill themselves all the time. They're not happy. You think you're famous. You're rich. You're doing music. You're doing You get to pursue what you love. You make art. You create. It doesn't satisfy under the sun. If you do it for the Lord, it does. It continues on. And he continue, at the end of verse 8, it says that he got him musical instruments of all sorts. King James says it that way. King James is the only one that interprets it that way. Because if you have any other different version, it probably has concubines and wives. Is that, that's what's on there. Uh, and there's a word that's used there. I'm not going to say what it is here, but it probably means concubines and wives. And so he tried musical singers, and he also thought, I'll try women. You know, maybe if one wife is nice, maybe if I have a thousand. And he had a thousand wives and concubines, plus a harem and um, women without number. He's like, no, didn't satisfy. Matter of fact, I'll remind you, it's in Proverbs a couple of places, but Proverbs 27 He writes this about numbers of wives. Proverbs 27, he said about one wife. Proverbs 27, 15. He says, a continual dropping and a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. He's like, it's raining and that drip in your roof and you can't get rid of it. It's just blink, 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 blink. And you're like, oh, they can quit. It's kind of like a wife. <laughs> it's like, fix the sink, fix the sink, fix the door. Fix the, you know, he's just like, ah, oh, and he had a thousand of them. So yeah, and that's a couple of times in Proverbs, I'm not going to beat that. But he's just like, no, it doesn't satisfy you. <laughs> like, if one was great, a thousand not better, the, the Lord said one. Get you one. Please then, remember the wife of your youth. He goes on and talks about all that. Stay with them. That's the true answer in there. But um, he said, I tried, it didn't work. Go back to Ecclesiastes. So he tried money. He tried music. He's tried wives. None of them satisfied. If anything, you know, it pulled him away deeper. Verse 9, he says, So I was great, and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all those works of my hands, what had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. He says, well, he tried entertainment. He tried knowledge and pursuing all that. Now he has tried entertainment of all sorts. And it didn't satisfy. It didn't answer any of his questions. It didn't fulfill him. No answers. Like I said, rich and famous people kill themselves all the time because they are empty under the sun. Our answers are only found in the one who made us. We are not satisfied in pleasing ourselves. We are only satisfied if we are pleasing Him. Verse 10 says, in the middle of the verse, He said, I withheld not my heart from any joy. He gave Himself everything He ever wanted, thought, or desired. He said, it didn't please me. It didn't please me. You will only be pleased if you are pleasing Him. Hebrews eleven six says, He is rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We are to diligently seek Him. That is the pursuit that we are to pursue after, Him. We're to pursue Him. Seek after Him, Acts says. 
Feel after him, find him, though he be not far from every one of us. To satisfy him, to please him, to honor him. Is this, does this please you, Lord? Is this honoring you, Lord? Is this what you want me to do, Lord? Is this the endeavor you want me to pursue, Lord? He says, you do that, you will be satisfied. You will have a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory for pursuing him. He is the reward. He is the pursuit. He is the pleasure we're to be seeking after. He is the joy, like I said, that's unspeakable and full of glory. Seek him, please him, pursue him diligently. Not passively, that's what a Hebrew says. If you diligently seek to do these things, you can't passively think that you're going to be able to please the Lord. Well, you know, I hope he's pleased with some things I do. I'm never going to think about it. I'm never going to honor him. I'm never going to pursue him. I hope he's well pleased. No, you're to diligently seek him. Seeking the Lord means, are you happy with this, Lord? Am I pleasing you, Lord? Am I doing what you want me to do, Lord? You know, and seeking these things out. He's made us all different. We all have different pursuits, and that's wonderful. He's made us that way. We're not all, we don't need clones. We don't need copies of ourselves. He likes the diversity of all that. He likes you how you are. He's chosen you. Uh, Ephesians 2 tells us that he has a job appointed for you, you and your work uniquely, who you are, where you are, who you have contact with. The experiences of your life will paint it and make it fuller. And he says, now, turn those towards me. Do it towards my glory. And he'll take all those different pursuits. We have three children, one of each. They have, because they're all unique. <laughs> we have a Megan, a Levi, and a Joel, and they are all uniquely themselves. And they all have different pursuits. And they can all please the Lord in those pursuits, and they seek to, and they try to. And that's wonderful as us as parents to watch them try to take the talents that they have that are diverse and many and try to seek the Lord in it. It's the same way in this congregation. I can look across here and see you and the different talents and the different gifts that you have and how you are using them and pursuing them. And if you truly do seek to turn it over to him, how the Lord can use that. And then you have that satisfaction. You know, it's satisfying knowing that we sent some money to Haiti. And to look down there and see the joy on their faces. We're building something for the Lord. We're going to use this to have Ginny and Franzi stand here and say, we can't thank you enough that this kick-started and got this going. Others jumped on board. I'm getting the goosebumps now thinking about it. Others jumped on board because we gave so much. It became a beacon that others like, we want to give towards that. Somebody else gave towards that. And they said it was able to snowball in that way. That's pretty awesome. You know, that they're able to do that and that we played a part in that. And sometimes I just stand back and scratch our heads like, why are we? We're nothing, but we're his. Right, and we're seeking to please him, seeking to honor him, he, he will be glorified. And there's something that knowing that that's going to last, that that's going to endure, that it'll work throughout eternity. Things that you write, things that we do, efforts that we pursue, you have to think of God as our Heavenly Father. I still have pictures in my desk that my kids drew for me when they were little. I have pictures in this desk from a lot of these kids have drawn stuff for me when they were little. And I date them and I put them on there and I think back about them that they were there and I like thinking that they're here, you know, that they did this. Do you think God in heaven, I always think, what's on his fridge? You know, what, what pictures does he have? Is it a note of encouragement or an email that we wrote to someone? A conversation that we had in this way? A video that we sent? A link or something in this way? Or just, uh, again, things that we drew, songs that we tried to write, a song that we came up here and sang for him? things that he did that he was well pleased with and he says that made me good that made me pleased that was pursuing me and that knowing that it endures past this time frame for eternity that god says i will reward you openly those things that you've done for me secretly i will reward you openly he says behold i am coming and my rewards are with me that's the true pleasure pleasing him seeking to please him to plan ahead so we need to plan to honor him church is just a basic that's a basic given that we'll be here and honor Him on the Lord's Day. But the daily service, the daily searching and seeking Him. Fellowship to give of yourself. 
to help one another, to make funny stories, to share, to tell in the future. Remember that time we were out doing this and we're doing that way? How the Lord did this and we did that and then you have a fun point that we'll get to share for forever? Life under the sun is empty, but life in light of eternity is full. It is complete. It is satisfying. It goes on forever. It doesn't end. We get heaven and earth thrown in. Why settle just for earth? So we want to seek him and to please him. Because it's not, it's just empty. And so we're to draw our fulfillment in him. It's only found in him. Our satisfaction can only be in him. So he's the one that we're to seek. He's the one that we're to pursue. A job will let you down. A song will let you down. A hobby will let you down. All these things will let you down. He will not let you down. And so pursue him. Pursue things in light of him. Live our life in light of eternity. That's what he's telling us. And so I hope you do so. Appreciate you being here. Let's close in prayer.